Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This is Scene with Miranda, a show about identity that flips the interview script. Guests open the show with a reading of their scene list, which reflects the many ways they have been viewed, judged, rendered invisible, or wholly seen by themselves, their loved ones, and strangers. None of us are exactly as we appear to strangers, friends, or really even ourselves. With the scene list as our guide, this podcast explores the gaps between experienced and presumed identities. I am Miranda Wiley, the host of this show, which to me means being an observer and facilitator to a conversation that the guest begins. My scene list includes being a cranky, struggling parent and a bombshell with a mic sipping tequila and bantering on stage at Bedpost Confessions. And this, my friends, is the last episode of Scene with Miranda Season 1. I know, it went quick. But there will be more. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can stay in the know about season two and catch me on Instagram and Facebook at scene underscore with underscore Miranda. But before we turn to social media, let's enjoy the scene list of Shelby Haddon. Shelby is a filmmaker whose pelvic floor condition inspired her animated short, Tightly Wound. She is a crowdfunding ninja whose work has a social cause. And instead of losing her virginity, she won it while being wholly seen. In fact, a week before we sat down to talk through her scene list, Shelby was at Bedpost Confessions telling an audience of 400 the story of working through her pelvic pain to successfully have sex for the first time. We were still on a high from the show where Shelby left the crowd in weepy happiness and full of hope. Here is my conversation with Shelby Haddon. Welcome, Shelby, to the Scene Podcast. Would you kick us off by reading your scene list? Sure. One, female filmmaker. Two, a tall woman. Three, in high school, I finally find the courage to ask out my crush who's been shamelessly flirting with me for years. He says, I'm a guy and I only want one thing and you're not that kind of girl. Four, My gynecologist refuses to examine me because I am not sexually active. Five, during a round of Never Have I Ever in college, someone suggests we go around the table and tell everyone how old we were when we lost our virginity. I'm 19 and still haven't. I hold my breath, praying the question doesn't make it to me. Six, my mom reassures me that when I meet the right guy, I won't have all the baggage that other people have when they enter a relationship because I have no history. Seven, 
While breaking it off with me because of my condition, a guy I've been seeing says, sex is too important to me. Eight, after successfully having sex for the first time, my partner holds me and whispers, you're worth a little patience. Nine, a headline about my film reads, the woman who can't have sex. Ten, my boyfriend calls my work grief porn. Thank you for sharing uh, your scene list with me. Um, so let's start here. Um, talk to me about being seen as a tall woman. It's funny because it's something that almost like everyone brings up when they first meet me. And I mean, it's happened so much recently. I went to Ohio last weekend and met someone who I actually Skyped with for an interview for a job. And one of the first things he says was, you're so much taller than I thought you were when I saw you on Skype. And I'm thinking like, yeah, I was sitting down and you saw me from the chest up and what has that got to do with anything? And I went on a date from Bumble a few months ago and I had already gotten to the restaurant. And when he came, I stood up and the first thing he said was, oh God, you're taller than me. <laughs> and that's how it started. <laughs> how tall are you? I'm 5'9", which is definitely taller than average for yeah. women. But I don't think it's out of the range of normal. But people always notice it and comment on it. How do you feel about your height? It took me a long time to embrace it. I didn't wear any shoes with any kind of heel until probably two years ago because I was so afraid of taking up more space and towering over people and drawing attention to myself. And then a couple years ago, I was like, I'm really missing out on wearing a lot of cute shoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's no way to live life. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so in that way, now you're like, yeah, I'm a tall woman, period. Mm -hmm. Period. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it works in my favor, too, because I work in a male-dominated industry where I'm often the only woman in the room, the only woman on the crew, and I'm often the youngest or one of the youngest people in the room. So like, at least being their size gives me a little bit of power in that situation. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, so talk to me about this this story on your scene list. While breaking it off with me because of my condition, a guy I've been seeing says sex is too important to me. What is your condition? I have vaginismus, which is a pelvic floor condition where the muscles in and around my vagina involuntarily contract, which makes penetration difficult or impossible and really painful. And so at what point did this guy break it off because sex was too important for him? We had been on a few dates, and at one point, I think most people I've dated, it's gotten to the point where, like, I can't play defense any longer, and all of a sudden we're hooking up, and, you know, I'm starting to kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm kind of, like, recoiling, and... He was asking me what was wrong and why he wanted me to or why I wanted him to stop. And so I told him about vaginismus and that I hadn't had sex before. And his response was amazing. He was like, 
it's okay. I like you so much. You're such a great person with a lot to offer. Like, we'll figure it out. And I was really clear when I explained to him what the condition was that I was in physical therapy. I was getting treatment. I was getting better. Um, But it was going to take time and some trial and error and someone to work with me on it. And the next day, he texted me and said that he didn't want to see me anymore. He had been thinking about what I had said, and sex was too important to him. What does that even mean, sex is too important to him? What did you take away from that? I guess for him, sex is really a physical act, period. Um, And for me, I know it has a lot of layers, and I think he and I just define it really differently, and what we want from it is very different. So if he can't scratch his itch right away, (laughs) there's no point of waiting, Um, which, you know, made me feel like a physical object and made me so angry because if he thinks sex is important to him, he has no idea how important sex is to me. Um, And it was really, really disappointing because he was the first person who had a positive reaction in the moment and seemingly accepted it and was okay with it. And then the next day completely went back on it. Totally took it back. And not only that, but, you know, I told him, like, I was super vulnerable with you in person. Like, to your face, I told you this really scary thing that was hard to admit that I have, one, I have this condition, and two, that I've never had sex before. So really two big scary things. And he couldn't even, like, call me or, like, see me. He just texted me about it. So uh, when did you get diagnosed with this condition? And when you're talking about that, the fact that sex is important to you as well, like, what what is that bit of that journey in terms of, you know, going to physical therapy and other things that you're doing? Like, how long has that process been of being diagnosed and then um, being in treatment? Mm -hmm. I got my period when I was 14 and tried to use a tampon pretty soon after that and just could not get it in. And it was the most painful thing I've ever experienced. And it felt like I didn't have a hole. And my mother would just tell me I had to find that right angle, just put more Vaseline on it. None of my friends seemed to have any problem with it. But there was like something inside me that just knew that this isn't about finding the right angle. Like, I must have something. And it was scary. I was like, what if I have a disease or like cancer? Or like, what if I don't even have a vagina? <laughs> oh, man. I didn't know I was so uh, yeah, young. Yeah, of course. I and I kept going to all these gynecologists who would tell me that everything was totally fine down there. And I should just, you know, get drunk when I want to hook up with someone. I thought you were going to say get drunk when you put on a tampon and you're 14. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. They would. Hold up. So you would tell me from 14 to now being drunk. So did or did they tell you that? They told me that not maybe at 14, but like 16, 19 when I was still underage. Really? Yes. Okay. And I know now that I know a lot of people 
in the pelvic floor community, a lot of women have gotten that advice, which is like very rapey and just terrible and like not medical advice at all. Okay, so when yeah. did you get diagnosed? Diagno- when did you find the person who figured out what your condition is? I didn't really find anyone who told me what it was. I read about it in a book in college, and the definition of vaginismus, like, I remember sitting in my bed in my dorm room feeling this revelation, like, this this is what I have. And it even said that it was caused by sexual trauma, which was confusing to me because at that point I didn't have any. But I was still like, this is what I have, this word – I connect with. And so then I started going to doctors and telling them that I had vaginismus. Um, And then I didn't find pelvic floor physical therapy until I was 21. And so how long has that, how long have you been in treatment now? Well, I'm no longer in treatment. Oh, congratulations. Thanks. I graduated from PT about a year ago. Fantastic. Well, we'll get to that a little bit later. I know we're kind of jumping around. We were like 14, trying to put on a tampon, and now Mm -hmm. a gynecologist telling you like to drink, and now you're 21, and you you read in college this diagnosis, and you're like, that makes sense to me, and now you've graduated, so that gives us where you've been in this whole history of this, which I I just I want to share with you something too. You reminded me. I had trouble putting in a tampon in as well mm-hmm. because I had this like extra piece of skin and it turned out that it was my hymen, but I, I was, I didn't know. Like, so I was thinking about my 14 year old self. I was asking all my other girlfriends, like, do you have this like piece of skin that just is there? Like it's a, and I do a little thing. It was like the hole and there was this line across the hole and everyone's like, no, I don't, I don't have that. I'm like, I, what is this? What is this? And I would get examined, but like they were able to put in the the speculum and push that piece of skin to the side. So it wasn't until like I actually like bent over and like touched the skin and pulled it out and said, look, what is this? And then a doctor was like, oh, that's your hymen. Oh, my God. (laughs) Why don't they like explain any of this to us? I don't know. And so basically I had I uh, had surgery. My first surgery was to have my hymen removed. So (laughs) So technically, that's kind of how I lost my virginity in some ways. But I, I wanted to put a tampon in. I was having such difficulty, and I couldn't figure it out. And it was like me having to diagnose it in this way that you're saying. Like, I find that so, um, I don't know, traumatizing that you were, like, going around to all these different doctors, which on your scene list, this one really strikes me of, like, my gynecologist refuses to examine me because I'm not sexually active. That actually happened to you as well? Yes. And since, I w- when, since, since when do you have to be sexually active to, to, to go see a gynecologist and take care of your health? I don't know. And I had all these questions. I was asking her about birth control so I could at least regulate my period. And she didn't think it was worth her time to look at me. So she just sent me home. And I told my mom that she didn't look at me. My mom's a nurse and... Up till that point, she still thought it was all in my head, but she was pissed that this woman didn't look at me. And so she called and she yelled at the receptionist and was like, we're coming back tomorrow. I'm going to be in that appointment. She is going to look at my daughter. And so my mom was in the exam with me, and that was the first time she saw how painful it was. And I was like, 
sobbing and screaming and the nurse was holding my knees down so that she could insert the speculum and that's I saw it change in my mom's face that she realized this is really not normal and it's not okay wow what, how how old are you in this? Because I'm still just like trying to wrap my head around the like you're younger than I am. So is this like a generational thing that like people are more sexually active younger that then like the doctors are just presuming that you have that you're having sex and if you're not like you're not worth my time somehow. Yeah, I think I was 19 or 20. Okay, somewhere around there. And yeah, I remember I went to one gynecologist in college and. When I told her that I wasn't sexually active and I was trying to figure out the vaginismus thing, she was like, wait, you're 21 and you've never had sex? I want to hug you right now. And she got so emotional and she's like, everyone on campus has sex and like no one waits till marriage. And I'm just so happy to meet someone who's not having sex. And I was so mad. <laughs> I was like, if I could, I would. <laughs> I just don't have that choice right now. Yeah, that's making a lot of assumptions. A lot of assumptions. So, yeah. talk about being seen. First of all, that the story that you that you just told about your mom and really seeing you, like mm -hmm. literally seeing you be in pain and understanding what you're, you're th that it's not in your head, that it must be a condition, that you're not making this up. Um, that must have been really powerful. Did she start to then do more research? Yeah, so that doctor, at the end of that exam, she told me that there are dilators that people use for the condition to practice inserting and penetrating, but all the dilators that she knew of were larger than a tampon, even the smallest one. So she told us to buy really skinny candles and okay. insert those. Okay. So my mom was on the hunt. <laughs> She went to every store. <laughs> like, like Tuesday morning, Bed Bath yeah. & Beyond, sales at Macy's. She's there. She was there. She found some at Hobby Lobby. Hobby Lobby. <laughs> Ugh, all places. If they only knew. <laughs> what we're using those candles for. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. And so she would always be asking me and like checking in like are you using the candles and I used those candles for months and never got anywhere with them <laughs> and you know she was always encouraging me to go to more doctors and ask more questions and you know she was like I'll pay for whatever treatment you need you know she was really supportive after that so going back to your scene list um you talk about in high school you finally had the courage to ask out your crush who's been even You've both been shamelessly flirting, is yeah. that right? Okay. Mm -hmm. And then um, so he says, I'm a guy, and I only want one thing from you, and you're not that kind of girl. So was your crush correct in that you weren't that kind of girl, or do you think if it weren't for your condition, you would be totally slutting it up? And I'm saying slutting it up in the most <laughs> sex-positive <laughs> way. <laughs> Also in, the way, also in the way to tie in this other thing that you just said about, uh, you know, a, a one doctor saying or nurse saying, um, I'm so happy to meet you. Like everyone is having sex. Like it's, it's impressive to see you save it until marriage, which doesn't sound like you said you were saving it until no. marriage. Mm -hmm. And that's that's making that assumption. Um, and so, yeah, like, do you think that you 
like you weren't that type of girl or is that like the condition kind of shaped you in that way? I know sometimes it's hard to separate like that's that's your life and that's the road you were on. But but what what is what do you think about that? I think he was right that I wasn't that kind of girl. I think I always was really scared of sex. I actually found my diary from fifth grade not too long ago and the entry when my mom told me about sex like I went up to my room and just cried and didn't say anything to her the rest of the day (laughs) and in my diary I was like I'm never having kids I'm gonna adopt I'm never gonna do that so disgusting (laughs) totally horrified by the concept (laughs) so I think he was right for me at the time to say that but I also think it's just so emblematic of the way we categorize people, especially women as like virgins or whores. And I think ever since that moment, I felt like I had a virgin tattoo on my forehead and everyone knew. Um, yeah, talking about that. Okay, this this one here, my mom reassures me that I'm when I meet the right guy, I won't have I won't have all the baggage that other people have when they enter a relationship because, you know, no history. Mm-hmm. Um, what What is going on there? I would just always tell her, like, I already have baggage. And just because I haven't had an official boyfriend, like, change my relationship status on Facebook doesn't mean that I have zero history, <laughs> like, that I've never interacted with anyone or tried to date or tried to have sex yeah it's almost like you don't exist until you're next to somebody in comparison Mm -hmm. to in in a relationship of any of that so right that that's very invisible making it is and really disqualifying Mm. all of my experiences and because I I have dated a lot of people not for very long but you know, they all ended really badly, and how could that possibly not affect how I enter a relationship when I do? So walk me through this time when, after successfully having sex for the first time, uh, your partner holds you and whispers, you're worth a little patience. Tell me about that. How do I summarize that story? Um, Tell me this, like, what was it, what was it like to hear somebody say you're worth a little patient? Just focus on that portion of it. Mm -hmm. It was everything that I'd ever wanted. I mean, this was a person who I didn't know for very long, but really listened to me and was okay with whatever the outcome was. And it was, it's really a like we had a good conversation about sex before we had it and and then it was successful and like him saying that it was just this really simple thing that like no one had ever had ever told me before or had implied you know every I always felt like last picked on the kickball team and thrown away a lot. And so this was someone who was just like, this was great and special, and it was okay if it took a a little bit. 
So it would be totally unfair if I didn't talk about the fact that you just told a story at Bedpost Confessions last week, which is a show that I produce. And this piece uh, you about about your virginity and someone telling you, you know, you're worth a little patience. You called it winning my virginity. And it was a really powerful story performed. I mean, it's a powerful story when you've told me that in person as well before um, hearing you tell it on stage. So um, I, I'm really struck by y- your telling that story kind of is this um, cross-pollination of my projects of like Bedpost Confessions and The Scene podcast. And so talking about sexuality and identity. And um, it feels like this this story for you um, this moment for you really is you were wholly seen like tell me um what was it like for you to then uh win your virginity (laughs) (laughs) it was awesome (laughs) um yeah I mean I say it in my piece that it was this goal that I had been working on for a really long time. And goal sounds kind of removed and stripped down from what it was. But I spent so many years in physical therapy and in pelvic floor physical therapy, I'd go once a week and my PT's finger would be inside of me for 45 minutes. And then every day I had my own stuff I had to do at home. And it was a lot of work and time and energy and to be able to at least just like accomplish that after all of that work was amazing just for that part of it. And then also to have sex and like have that intimacy and it was great. I always worried that even if I was able to do it, it would still be terrible in some way. Um, but it wasn't, and I was in the club finally, (laughs) (laughs) and I think not having sex also really infantilized me. Mm. I felt that way a lot, so it felt a little bit like growing up, um, yeah. And did you, am I correct in saying that you felt wholly seen in that moment? Oh, yeah, I definitely felt seen. I felt like he saw me as a whole person, and this was something that we chose to do together. And, you know, I felt beautiful and safe and all the things you want to feel when you're intimate with someone. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think that in a lot of your work that you've done at Bedpost, we've talked about making the distinctions between sex as this goal for you and for many people. Um, it is a goal, like, you know, notch on the bedpost sort of thing, right? Um, and the, so then there can be the, then the act, you know, penetration or oral or, um, you know, finger fucking. I'm just going to throw that one out there. Why not? Why not? Um, yeah. So then you have the sex act. Then you have the connection part of it. You have the the layer of intimacy and, and feeling like 
you are connecting with somebody in, in, a, in a way that you don't necessarily connect with people. But then there's also like totally detached sex that people can have too. And a way of like not wanting to be seen and to be like numbing yourself. So there's all these ways when we're talking about having sex, like that we're actually not, we're talking about something else than sex. Like there's, and so what I think that you have achieved in your, in that story so successfully is talking about what it meant for you and that this person was able to be there with you on this journey and, and achieving a goal, but not having it feel like, you know, touchdown, like goal moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely didn't feel like touchdown goal moment. Um, there were just so many feelings about (laughs) it (laughs) still are. Um, yeah. Uh, let, let's shift now to talk about something that maybe uh, is a way you're seen and not so positive. I don't know. I'm curious to know mm-hmm. how you feel about this one. Um, a headline about my film reads, The Woman Who Can't Have Sex. Um, what's your reaction to seeing this headline? Oh, I was so angry about it, especially because I had a great interview with the person who was writing the story, and I really felt heard. And, you know, it's just like it was a great conversation. And then to be reduced to this woman who can't have sex, which, like we just mentioned, there are lots of definitions of sex, and that's not a way I see myself. Um, And it's just so simplified and so um, baiting for to get people's attention. What headline would you like to see about your work? And also, please expand on what your work is. I just finished my short animated film, Tightly Wound, which tells the story that of my whole journey, starting with trying to use a tampon for the first time through a dating experience I had a few years ago where this guy laughed in my face when I told him about it. And between the film, performing at Bedpost, and some other things. Um, A lot of my work has been about pelvic pain and talking about sexual dysfunction and virginity. Um, So I guess I'd like headlines to say something about pelvic pain because those are words that I want to be in our everyday language, like STIs. I hope that one day pelvic floor dysfunction, people know what pelvic floor dysfunction is as much as they know what herpes is, so that when people enter relationships, they know what what it is, that there's treatment, what to expect. And that you can't have sex. And that I can't have sex, yeah. That's the thing about that headline that I read. It's like you can't have sex. Like it's like a death sentence. Like it's just mm-hmm. not possible, which I'm sure has felt like that. But that's not actually the correct definition of the condition. Yes, it is not a death sentence. And there are people, lots of pelvic floor physical therapists who who are out there helping people every day and treating people every day. And every PT I've seen has promised to help me and promised that I would reach those those goals. It was never, well, we'll try to get here We'll have to see. It was always, I promise you'll be able to have sex. Okay. 
My boyfriend calls my work grief porn. What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? Okay, did you even know what grief porn meant when your boyfriend called your work that? Because I got to admit, I had to look it up. (laughs) Yeah, I looked. I knew what he was trying to say Uh about it. Like, it created a very vivid picture for me because I think it also played on some of my insecurities about being public about all of this. And I also want to be clear, he is my (laughs) ex-boyfriend because of this. (laughs) I like that clarity. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He and I were not together super long, but we did live together. And I remember, and we were going back and forth, breaking up and getting back together. And when he said grief porn, I just looked at him and I'm like, we're fucking done. Never, ever, ever, ever getting back together, (laughs) you know? Yeah, and so the way he meant it was, I guess that I'm telling these stories to get sympathy and attention, and it's all in vain, Um, which is not at all what the definition of grief porn is when you look it up. Yeah, I, I, I wrote it out. So the urban dictionary definition of grief, grief porn, it is about exploiting the basic voyeuristic nature of humans who get their rocks off by feeling good by looking at the suffering of others. So, I mean, did, did that, like, what, do you know what he meant by it? Any further than what you've just told me? Yeah. Like, um, well, he, we talked about it after the heat of the moment about it, too. And my second bedpost piece third week curse where I talk about another experience of being rejected and there was some self-harm in that and um, he told me he thought it was disgusting that I told that story um, and that there was no reason to do it and I just wanted attention and for me I do all this work because these types of stories were not out there And when I was struggling with it silently and feeling so much shame and embarrassment, I would look for any kind of story that would make me feel better. And that's why we go to stories to see ourselves in them and to know we're not alone. And how does that make you feel when there aren't any for you? Um, uh, Yeah. what What do you call your work if you had to put a definition on it? Um, I guess my work, I think, has a social cause and has a goal for making impact. Um, those are the types of those are the types of films I've always wanted to make. I don't make films just for the sake of making films or to fill my ego. Um, and I see a lot of filmmakers who do do that, but. With my films, I want to say something or explore something and reach people in a way that they haven't. So what would you like to be on your scene list a year from now? I was hoping you weren't going to ask this question because <laughs> it's hard. I want to be seen as just a normal dater. Just someone who can date in the world like everyone else. (laughs) Um, And have a lot of these be past tense. 
that are already on the scene list. Are you always going to identify as somebody who has vaginismus, who has this condition? It's really hard because I don't really anymore. And whenever I talk about it or, you know, it's hard because I'll say, like, I have this, but I don't really have it anymore. Um, Yeah, I mean. So maybe on the scene list is I had a pelvic floor condition. Yes, I had a pelvic floor condition. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just being seen as a catch. You're a fucking catch, Shelby. That's what I want to say about you. (laughs) Thank you. I just want to have like normal, average, bland stories. We were dating for a while and that didn't really work out. Next. Like, that's what you want. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I get it. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, and I can I can see that for you. Thanks. Hopefully. <laughs> Want to hear Shelby's Bedpost Confessions piece? Well, the thing is, is that I retired the Bedpost podcast in order to develop this podcast. But you are in luck. Shelby's Winning My Virginity Bedpost Story was published in article form. Check out Why Waiting Until 25 to Lose My Virginity Was the Best Decision I Could Have Made. The link to the article and more of Shelby's work in the show notes. And if perchance you are in Austin and don't attend Bedpost Confessions, do yourself a favor and come to the next one on July 18th and 19th. For now, the scene team is me, Miranda Wiley, and producer Mariah Gossett. Music by Solid State Dream Suit. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at scene underscore with underscore Miranda. Join me in documenting our identities with the hashtag HowAreYouScene. Email us at hello at scenepodcast.com. And please, if you're enjoying the show, write us an iTunes review and give us that five-star rating. We have plans to grow this podcast, and it helps if we have rating love. Appreciate it. All right, so since this is the close of season one, I want to thank all of those who have contributed to Scene with Miranda. Thanks to Alex, who back in 07 said, you need to make a podcast. And here we are, 11 years later, making a third. Thanks to Whitney, Heather, Jack, Christine, Julia, Laura, my wordsmith for life, Kate, the Art of Freelance, and Permanent Record Studios for housing us. And of course, Mariah, who came on board after I shared my scene list, just, you know, casually over coffee. And uh, she said, you know, I'm completing a master's of science in media management, and I would love to put my spreadsheets to use. We're going to make this podcast. The first thing people notice is her sea creaturely curly hair. Mariah relishes being seen as a good friend and the kind of go-getter that makes people wonder, when does she sleep? I couldn't agree more. And lastly, special thanks to my guests who, without hesitation, agreed to be interviewed and then followed up with, wait, what's a scene list? Exactly. Y'all have set the bar. Nikki Devon is a fat and black Texas author. Justin Simeon is a storyteller with questions, not answers. Whitney Stafford is the solution. Karina Magyar is generous. 
Ebony Stewart is with fewer questions and more Panera Bread locations. Jay Graham is a successful business owner making change in our community. Shelby Haddon is a normal dater who had a pelvic floor condition. Until next time, may we all be wholly seen for where we are at any moment in time, at least once. Thanks for listening. I see you.